Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for February 23rd, 2020. I'm your host, Steph Auckland. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. Oh, good to have y'all on, and it'll be good in about 20 minutes to have Kelly uh, join us back again for, gosh, three or four times now on Kudzu Vine, one of our favorite uh, recent guests, um, talking about his national politics. And we may um, hit just a Senate race or two with her as well. Until then, we're going to talk some national politics and get right at it. The um, Democratic primary has had really more twists and turns in this past week than it maybe has had the entire time we've had candidates uh I finally jump out of the race. We've had um, more results. We've had Michael Bloomberg finally uh, burst onto the national stage and then almost leave the conversation seemingly in the same weekend, the next weekend. Um, Tim, where do you kind of see this race right now? Well, uh, we can no longer deny that there is a clear front runner. Um, after the first three contests, for, for now at least. Uh, I, I, I know that after South Carolina, we will have counted only like, what, four and a half percent of the vote. Um, but, but the, you know, that front runner right now has to be Bernie Sanders. Uh, there's just no way to look at it any other way. Um, if his opposition does not quickly coalesce around one other candidate, then there is a good possibility that Sanders could waltz to the nomination simply by getting, oh, 35 to 40% of the vote in most of the states. That would probably garner him over half the delegates in those states. Uh, so if there are this many candidates competing on Super Tuesday, then after Super Tuesday, it may be about statistically impossible to catch Sanders in his number of delegates um, before the convention. I'm not saying he would get the required number if enough people stayed in, but uh, he would certainly go into the convention in Milwaukee uh, in first place. So there we are. Yes, um, Catherine, um, seemingly nobody's dropped out, though. Uh, I think we had Andrew Yang's the last candidate to drop out. Um, We did have Michael Bennett drop out, but a lot of these Candidates continue on, even though some are finishing third and um, fourth and in most contests and don't even have a first or second place finish uh, yet. Why have they not decided to, you know, 
wrap it up. Well, if they still have money and they still have um, supporters encouraging them, then they're just going to keep going. Uh, I think we'll probably see some fallout after South Carolina, I would imagine. Um, but, who, you know, I mean, we still have Tulsi Gabbard, so she should drop out for sure. Um, I think Steyer will drop out. Well, I don't know, but I would think, I think South Carolina, he's counting on South Carolina. He's uh, been there a lot. He has a lot of support there. So um, I think if he doesn't do have a strong finish in South Carolina, he's bound to drop out. Um, but, you know, they're probably also thinking about um, the vice presidential pick and, you know, holding on until they can, you know, have some leverage at the convention. I don't know how much they ever could, but um, so I think that's, you know, they all think they're going to win. That's why they're saying in. <laughs> yeah, well, well and I'll say this. Tulsi Gabbard, I don't think she's playing the same game most of them are. Um, I don't know that she's really looking to try to actually collect delegates because um, she seemingly has her base of support, folks that um, – vote in the Republican primary, um, folks that watch you know, Fox News 10 hours a day. Uh, so that's her base. Um, now, talking about other folks in VP, uh, you know, Joe Biden, been there, done that. He's not playing for VP. Would Tom Steyer really add anything to anybody's ticket as a VP? Well, I think he's staying in because he thinks he has strength in South Carolina, and if he can get a bunch of delegates in South Carolina and continue to run ads that he might do better on Super Tuesday. Maybe. I mean, it just... No, I'm thinking um, like Amy Klobuchar and um, who else is in the race? Elizabeth Warren, <laughs> Pete Buttigieg, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden. Yeah, I know. And is, Tulsi Is there anybody Gabbard. else in Tulsi Gabbard? So, so it's, not, it's not as many as it was, obviously. Um, but I think Amy Klobuchar is probably sticking in there because she... I mean, I think she's hopeful that she's going to win something. I don't know why, but also because I think she'd like to be VP. Yeah, um, you know, yeah, Tulsi Gabbard. I do think that she's the the Bernie Sanders uh, possible pick there. But we'll talk about that more later. Um, Tim, let's just kind of get into Tom Steyer. I, I know that he's been looking to make a stand, and, and you know, seemingly, I guess, have a third place finish in South Carolina. Uh, What's the there there? Well, the the latest polling out of South Carolina shows him still running third. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he's a man with a lot of money, of course. Uh, but uh, he he really ran poorly in Nevada after spending yeah. a lot of money there. And and I, I don't see where he sees he has a path um, beyond South Carolina. Now, uh, you know, Catherine probably laid it out just right. He he thinks uh, South Carolina will kickstart his campaign, and he'll do a lot better on Super Tuesday because he's got the money to run ads in all those states. But uh, 
I, ju- I just don't know if it's going to play out that way. I, I, I don't think he's doing anything but taking votes away from somebody instead of building a, a base of support for himself. Um, and yeah, I actually I, heard I, some I, critics. I, I, yeah. I, that's something, of course, I know uh, we'll get into in a moment when we go to talking about, you know, what what is everyone's end game, but that that's pretty much has got to be his end game. He can't be looking past Super Tuesday. I don't know why he would. Yeah, um, I actually heard some criticism of his. You know, like talking about how, you know, how somebody, how does he think just because he has money, he has more the president's names, folks that dropped out like Cory Booker and Kamala Harris and. You know, Tim Ryan and Better work. Uh, I mean, all these folks that had held office, and you know, even Mike Bloomberg, who has essentially been accused of trying to buy the office as well, he was the mayor of New York, unlike Tom Steyer, who's you know never held a lot elective office. And um, Tom Steyer's really never caught fire, really never had a debate performance that's um, lauded in any way, and so um, it's you know strange to wonder why he continues to stay in the race. At this point, Andrew Yang seemingly had a much more interesting narrative than Top Dyer and a better finish in Iowa. Um, so I do think that is one candidate that it would be interesting to see where his vote goes or who his vote is um, in, in whatever states. Uh, now let's talk about the debate that happened in the night because that's probably going to be our entree into some other candidates. And so they had a debate Wednesday night. I guess the big um, narrative storyline of the debate was this is Mike Bloomberg's first time on stage. Uh, Tim, I know you watched the whole thing from start to finish. What was your take on his performance? <laughs> well, he got he got pummeled, and that's that's putting it generously. What Warren, in particular, in the first fifteen minutes of that debate, did to him on just the issue of non-disclosure agreements was the most crushing takedown that I have witnessed in a debate since 1988 when, you know, Benson famously took apart Dan Quayle uh, after he spent all that money and position himself to be the moderate alternative if others faltered. He had such a dismal showing, and <laughs> in front of a live audience, TV audience of 19 million and 14 more million streaming viewers, the largest viewing audience ever, by the way, for a Democratic primary debate, and he picked this night to lay an egg of epic proportions. You would have thought, with all this staff he's got, with all of this careful stuff, that they were, you know, setting up for him, that he would have been better prepared for this debate. It's not like he didn't know some of these things were coming because some of his candidates, especially the other candidates, especially Warren, were openly discussing these things in the days leading up to the debate. 
at their own defense. And he was, uh, he was, uh, whoo, that, I, I don't see why that did him any good at all. I mean, he, he just, uh, that, that, that was, it was, it was as bad as, as anyone who didn't see it has heard that it was. It, 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 it really was. I had Republican friends texting me and saying, wow, he's getting killed. You know, uh, he did. That, that, was the, that was the story of the debate. Everybody else did all right, and he was just awful. Yes. Catherine, um, you know, people mentioned after the fact that, you know, Mike Bloomberg, when he ran for mayor of New York, he was involved in debates, high-level debates uh, for the largest city in America. And he did not perform like this. He performed competently. Um, any idea what happened? Well, I'm going to have to say I completely disagree with what, uh, everything Tim said. I do not think that the that um, I mean I know I'm the I'm the contrarian in this. Performed the worst that night was Amy Klobuchar. I thought she looked desperate and terrible, and the way she attacked uh, Pete Buttigieg I thought was really pretty pathetic. I thought Bloomberg took all that um, animus from uh, Elizabeth Warren. I thought he was amazingly poised. He Maybe he knew it was coming and he just decided he wasn't going to fight back about it because what can, I mean, non-disclosure agreements are non-disclosure agreements. They are agreed upon by the two parties. They're, they may not be a very um, uh, they may not seem very fair, but I, I mean I, I don't agree with non-disclosure agreements in um, in sexual harassment um, situations because I think it does um, add further stigma to the to the um, matter. But I thought he was poised and responded well. He kept going back to the importance of beating Trump and not arguing among themselves. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not a supporter of, of Mike Bloomberg, but I do not think he did as poorly as everyone else thought he did that night. I think your or, ordinary um, viewer might have thought, well, you know, he remained poised. He didn't freak out. He didn't yell like everybody else was doing. He, I, I mean, I thought it was uh, masterful that he didn't like, uh, get angry and respond in a um, with a you know with anger. Instead, he just was poised. I I thought it was masterful. I know mm. I'm I I know I'm alone in in this belief, but it's what you, I think. You you're you're even al- alone, really alone. But even his own people were. We're saying that that he did not perform well, and 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 he 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 was he was terrible. It wasn't just the non-disclosure agreements. Bernie Sanders just hammered him about the billionaire thing. Bloomberg tried to meekly fight back a little bit on that by saying some cute remark about Sanders being a millionaire, which he's right about that. And Biden also. Uh, among others, came down. Everybody on the stage was hitting him. 
Uh, he would have responded like, with some anger, but he, he just stood there and, and pretty much he looked like a deer in the headlights, to be honest. It, it, I, I felt badly for him. Had this debate in South Carolina is coming up Tuesday night. He needs to show up for that one. He, I know he hadn't debated in 10 years, but... Uh, um, yeah, now the question is on that Tuesday night debate, will he be a focal point? Because the field has to see that they need to, you know, go after Bernie Sanders, not someone else. Like, I, and Catherine, you are right about this. Amy Klobuchar was panned as being just kind of mean and, and really off target on attacking Mayor Pete. It was like this personal vendetta because he's not the front runner. I, he's really gotten less out of his first and second place finish than he should have. I mean, it's kind of weird how he finished first in Iowa, finished second in New Hampshire, and then rolled that into a third place finish in Nevada. Um, but yet she's attacking him, and I think she did come off as um, kind of spiteful to him. Kind of, it was kind of odd the way she did that. Um, well, and so was, now, I think Amy was, Klobuchar had two third-place finishes. Now she doesn't finish in Nevada third. Catherine, where does she go from here? I have no idea. <laughs> um, but I, I think she um, was frustrated that she was called on not knowing the name of the president of Mexico. I think that set her off from the very beginning. And then when Buttigieg, you know, re- uh, brought that back up again. I think it just, she was just, uh, her reaction was to, uh, you know, fight back in a very, to be snarky and uh, sarcastic instead of, and then when Elizabeth Warren came to her defense uh, for a second and then went into, I mean, it was weird that, Tim, didn't you think that was weird? Yeah, I thought that was a little bit strange. I wasn't sure where Warren was going with that. Well, she went into attacking her. She, like, defended her for, like, the first two sentences, and then she went into uh, sort of attacking her. It was very strange. Mm -hmm. It was a very strange um, little nuance that Elizabeth Warren took advantage of. Well, now let's talk about Elizabeth Warren. Um, She was considered to have the best debate of the night. You know, she kind of came in – we talked about it last week. Where's the plan? You know, where does she win? Um, of course, you do have to win states. She won the debate. Um, you know, Wednesday night was considered to have a great performance in it. Raised a bunch of money. They say that she raised so much money in the second half of last week. But then there's another election where people vote, even if it's in a caucus in Nevada. And she didn't finish. Uh, um, even in the top three, well, I'm trying to think. Uh, yes, she was. She wasn't in the top three because I know the top three. No, um, she was fourth. She was fourth. So Tim, yeah. great debates and, and nice fundraising days online. Well, Where's the plan for, still? For for starters, uh, like by the time that debate aired, seventy percent of the voters had already voted early. Yeah. Um. I, I don't think her organization was all that good out there in Nevada. Uh, certainly not as good as, uh, you know, it it had been in some other places. But 
but uh, now she's the one I'm really pointing out and, and, and asking, where does she go? Now, you know what's going on, I think, guys. It, the same thing that was going on in 2016 with the Republicans, you remember all those guys in the race kept saying, you know what, I'm going to hang around, and this one's going to fall out, and that one's going to fall out, yep. and then I'm going to be the anti-Trump. And by the time that happened, it was too late to stop him. And I think that's what's happening right now. They, they, the opposition to Bernie Sanders is fragmented. It's not coalesced at all. And each one of those candidates, at least several of them, are thinking, I'm going to be the one somehow that's going to uh, catch fire and be the... Um, anti-Sanders candidate. And the worry is that three or four of them will just stay in and keep splitting that vote up and that Sanders will will keep winning. But I believe that's what's going on right now. That's why nobody's dropped out in a week. You you saw what Yang said. I, I think I yeah, said well, that. Tim, before we, yeah, that was before we continue on any more with this, uh, let's get somebody else's thoughts on the um, Democratic presidential primary, and we're going to bring in guest Kelly Masias. Welcome, Kelly. Hey, everybody. Nice to be here with you. Good to have you. Um, We're actually talking about the Democratic um, primary race so far, and, you know, we're getting more granular into this past week, whereas you hadn't been on, um, you know, know, in a while, so you can kind of give us a broader view going back several more weeks. But kind of what's your thoughts on this um, primary race thus far? Huh. Well, um, it has been a real mess so far. Um, <laughs> I think that <laughs> what Tim said was right, that there's a lot of split between the votes right now. Um, we know that in Iowa and New Hampshire, or uh, at least New Hampshire and Nevada, we know that Bernie Sanders has come out as the front runner so far. South Carolina's next week, which may prove something really different. Um, but we still have so many candidates in the race right now that it's really difficult to say who's going to emerge on top. And that is um, exciting in some ways and also really disconcerting when we think about the fact that we really need to get Trump out of office. Yeah, and I, that's kind of my thing. I want the best um, you know, scenario to get Trump out of office. It's kind of like some people have, you know, plans to redo the home. I'm like, let's take care of the bug problem. You know, that's where we got to start. We can't redecorate until we get rid of the roaches. And that's Trump in office. Um, well, let me ask you kind of just looking for, towards the general. And then, the, you know, Tim and Kath are going to go in t- totally different directions. Um, looking at um, if this thing ends up being, you know, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump. I had a sociology class back when I was in college, and this was about the time of the 92 election, probably a little bit before, but the research was pre then. Uh, but they showed that almost every single election was decided, and the happier, more sunny, optimistic candidate almost always won. If you have a race between Bernie Sanders, who's kind of a bit of a grumpy old man, and Donald uh, Trump, who's always talking about how America used to be great. We needed to build a wall against everybody. He's negative. Who's the more optimistic, sunny one? And 
how do you get that uh, positive corollary that has been, I guess, proven up through 1992? This is a really interesting question, um, and I hadn't thought about it this way. So I, I think that um, – I mean, we know, you know, Donald Trump last week was talking about how he would like to bring Gone with the Wind as a movie back or something. So <laughs> that might resonate with Southern folks on this who are listening here, right? But, like, really, you know, it's such a, it's, it's not just that America's not great anymore. It's this, like, doom and gloom future, you know, for, for anyone who's still here. So I think that um, Bernie Sanders also has a message of, of very frankly talking about what's at stake. But I also think the idea of saying to young people, you can live a life that doesn't include, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt, you know, that you are deserving of health care, that people are deserving of a minimum wage. It may have a tone that doesn't appeal to everybody, but the message itself, I think, could be really considered positively. So I think if it's between Bernie and Donald Trump, there's no question in my mind that Bernie Sanders has the more favorable message if it comes down to that, um, that, that matchup. And we, we don't know what it will look like. Yes. And coincidentally, Kelly, um, Tim and Catherine already know this. I grew up in Clayton County, which was the setting of Gone with the Wind and the place I grew up was vastly different than the setting of Gone with the Wind. There are no more plantations. There were none then. And it's even far different than it was 30 years ago. Um, so, you know, whatever Donald Trump sees as America just doesn't exist, hadn't existed in quite some time. So, hate to break it. To Thank you. goodness. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what, actually, I would just say what's fascinating about that, too, is that, you know, it's it's all built in fear. I, it, it really is built in making people afraid of a history that we, we know we have. And actually, what would happen if we decided to just lean into that history, acknowledge it's there, and also acknowledge that, as you said, in Clayton County, there actually aren't any more plantations. Like, that is not a thing. Um, but he's done a really good job of making us all afraid of things that we, um, you know, that, that really sit deeply in our, our consciousness. Um, and if we chose something different, I think we'd be so much better off. Definitely. Well, Catherine, your question's for Kelly. Hey, Kelly. It's so great to have you on. I always look forward to talking with you. I was just going to say Tonight, thanks, What I want to talk about is one of our favorite people, Stacey Abrams. I don't know if you <laughs> saw her on The View. I think it was, was it this week or was it last week? Um, but she was answered week. very frankly. What? It was this week. It was okay. Um, I I tape it every day and watch when I get home. For watch at least the first few minutes when I get home. I'm a huge Whoopi Goldberg Goldberg fan, so I love anytime I can hear her uh, spout off. Um, anyway, um, she was very clear in her um, uh, willingness to uh, serve as vice president, and I just wondered. If, I I wondered what you thought about that. If that is something that viable and uh, would it matter which candidate came forward as our nominee that would make her a strong vice presidential candidate? I think it's a great question, Catherine. And I, I know that it was this week because I had my grandmother and various women in my <laughs> life texting me and calling me to tell me that she was on the view. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think, um, 
I think if she's a, a vice presidential nominee, that it's a, it's a game changer in a lot of places. She had a lot of support, a lot of um, interest and excitement in her candidacy, even in, you know, in, especially in Georgia. So I think that it would make a difference if she was uh, somebody's VP pick. You know, I think it's still too early to tell. I know people are, Joe Biden has been saying this for months now, that he would consider her as a potential nominee. I think, you know, uh, I I know people who suspect that it may be a Bloomberg Abrams ticket. Who knows? Um, But I think, yes, it would definitely change people's perspective if she was the nominee because she has a way of generating excitement and enthusiasm that other candidates don't at this point. And do you think that it would have to be, um, I, I think, you know, we always want, or we, the, the party always tries to find a vice president, vice presidential candidate who balances uh nominee. So if you've got someone who's, uh, from a certain demographic, then you want to balance that with a different demographic or at least a different um, geographical area. Or if you have someone who's got a lot of experience in um, local and uh, national issues, but not a lot of international experience, then you want to balance that. Do you think that's what I've been thinking about is that if, so if it, I mean, I'm, If it's Joe Biden, he has a lot of international experience and um, not as much executive experience. And um, Stacey Abrams has a very, while she hasn't served as an executive, she has a very executive um, sort of approach to things. She's a good manager. She's um, very smart and strategic. Um, But if you've got someone like Buttigieg who doesn't have, um, I mean, that seems like it wouldn't be a balanced ticket. And so I just wonder how, I mean, it's a very complicated uh, sort of equation that we go through during the um, vice presidential pick. And I, I, I will say here, um, just as a disclaimer, I never believe that uh, a, the candidate who becomes the nominee really has all the control over who their vice presidential pick is. There's a lot of talk right now that, you know, Bernie's going to pick this person, Bernie's going to pick this person, but really it's a negotiation behind, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes more publicly. So I think that there's going to be a lot of debate among leaders about who that person is. Do you think that also, how do you think those things play in? And does that leave open for a different, uh, vice presidential candidate that might also generate a lot of interest like Kamala Harris or uh, I, I'm, those are the two that I keep thinking of, but I, what are your thoughts about Kamala? Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's it's too soon to tell because there's so many yeah, combinations of how all of this could look. Um, I think that uh, in in the scenarios with some of these tickets, with a Biden-Abrams ticket, with a um, Buttigieg Harris ticket or a Sanders Harris ticket. I mean, I think all of those would certainly play well into who is the base of the party, who is really, um, who has generated enthusiasm in the last few years um, among, you know, the base of the party. Uh, and I think, you know, who, who knows? Um, I, I think at this point, honestly, the idea of, 
you know, someone has local experience, someone has more executive experience, someone has federal. Like, at this point, our politics are so out the window and so um, outside of the norm that I don't think people are looking at that kind of combination anymore. Um, oh, really? That's I, interesting. Yeah. I don't. I um, I think that's people who really, really pay attention. Um, I think just generally, again, what I keep hearing over and over again and what I keep seeing in polls is people are just really committed to um, a change. They are angry about what's happening, and they're really, uh, at least among Democrats and progressives, really ready to get rid of Donald Trump. And so I don't um, – I am really curious to see what happens in South Carolina and in on Super Tuesday because of that reasons. Because I think we're all over the map in terms of uh, what we're looking for in the in the candidate who will go on to the general. Very interesting. Well, I'm going to pass along to Tim. Thanks so much. We're so glad to have you on. Good evening, Kelly. Thank you for being with us again. Um, Thanks, Tim. How are you? I'm doing well. You just uh, made mention of a lot of angry people out there, a lot of angry voters. And obviously there's anger at one party at the other. We we know that, especially from our side. There is anger at Donald Trump. That's been a driving, motivating factor for us. But... What will be the defining policy issue, you think, for the Democratic nominee this year? Will it be health care? Will it be income inequality? What will be that that issue? Hmm. That's a really good question, Tim. I'm not sure what I think will be the singular issue um, at this point in the election. Um I think healthcare is certainly a really important one. Um, I think people are also at this point really concerned about the influence of money in politics. You know, we have two billionaires on the Democratic side in the race, and lots of people are wondering how they got there, how they got to um, poll differently than they were, you know, entering the race late. Um, So I think that's a big one. You know, I keep coming back to the same thing overall. When I talk to people all over, the number one thing I hear is around kind of getting rid of Donald Trump. And and, um, some of that is around, you know, racial justice, social justice. Some of that is around health care. Some of that is around taxes. But I think more often than not, people are really, you know, angry and concerned about where we are right now and wanting a change. Mm. Change. So change is the is the issue. I think so. It's interesting to me, too, if we look at some of the polls, right, that, you know, uh, Bloomberg even in in the span of a very short time is now polling differently than he was. I think it's Mm -hmm. a reflection of people aren't okay with the status quo. They're not necessarily comfortable with maybe some of the folks in the race that they have known before um, and so change means all kinds of things including considering candidates that you know a year or two ago people would have never considered mm-hmm. now in this field I, I know you you have addressed this uh, a lot of uh, pundits around the country both through the written word and on television uh, in particular have addressed this but we we began this democratic campaign season 
with the most diverse collection of candidates in, in our history. But in Nevada the other night, there were six candidates on the stage, all white. What's the message being sent there, or is there a message? How did we get to that point? Yeah, I think that in terms of the presidential primary, some of it is around who people think um, actually has a chance of beating Donald Trump. And I think for people Uh of color, very often, the concern is actually not how we think we would vote, but how we think white people would vote. Uh-huh. Um, and and so I think that that, I mean, if we look at 2016 or even 20, 2008, right, that South Carolina um, voted uh, very close to or in lockstep with Iowa and New Hampshire, and I think some of that was, oh, okay, so if these places could, you know, vote for Barack Obama as a, as a candidate, then maybe we could see that as a, as a actual possibility. So I think mm-hmm. some of this, too, is that we – we have diverse options, and again, you know, this is a we're a party that hasn't come to terms with a lot of things that happened in 2016, and I think we're still all trying to catch our breath from it. Um, mm-hmm. But I do wonder how we went from the most diverse uh, candidacies ever to uh, a field that is remarkably less so, and I think it just keeps coming back to this electability. Who do we think? the people that we think need to vote um, our way, and it hasn't been some of the other candidates or candidates of color in the race. Mm-hmm. And and I want you to know that the explanation you just gave me is probably the best one I have heard for how this occurred, so I want to thank you for that. I also wanted to mention that Cory Booker was my wife's candidate from day one, and she is still heartbroken uh, that he's gone and she really doesn't know until yet, and we're voting on March the 24th, she doesn't know yet uh, uh, who she's even going to vote for after he dropped out of the race. One more question, and I'm going to um, send it uh, back to David, but uh, you mentioned South Carolina's coming up. Now, 60% of the Democratic primary vote over there will be African American. Uh, the polls have showed that they favor Joe Biden. Um, Will he get a strong enough vote in South Carolina, you think, to invigorate his candidacy in such a way that it will, in in such a way that it'll propel him back toward the top of the pack? I've been wondering this um, for the last couple of weeks, and I have to say I'm not sure. Uh, Uh So uh, Joe Biden has certainly been at the top of the polls for the last few months, um, but in the last, you know, week or two, the gap between him and Bernie Sanders is really closing. And Mm -hmm. so um, I think, you know, he does have a lot of name recognition and trust among black voters. Uh, you you rightfully said, Tim, that, you know, almost 60% of the primary electorate in South Carolina will be African-American. Um, mm-hmm. Presumably a lot of those are, are voters over 40. Um, and so there's a name recognition that Joe Biden has, but, um, you know, young voters are increasingly going to be what, 
what, you know, makes a dent in these elections. And young voters overwhelmingly among African-Americans actually prefer Bernie Sanders. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think we don't quite know. I think whoever wins in South Carolina next week, it will be uh, quite tight. So that will be interesting to watch for sure. All right. And with that, I will send it back to David. David? Yes. And um, before we get to the next question, I just read on Political Wire uh, that Clyburn has endorsed Joe Biden. Um, mm. So we will see if that is type of endorsement mm. that can actually move voters, because really endorsements have had the fact that they have had thus far, although Jim Clyburn in South Carolina is a pretty big um, name. So, uh, But let's kind of stick in South Carolina in the Senate race. Um, Kelly, that's apparently one of the ones you've been following a lot. Jamie Harrison, a really dynamic candidate, going against the lightning rod of Lindsey Graham, uh, but still a fairly Republican state. Uh, what do you think of that race? Well, I think exactly what you said. I've been following closely, and I've been following hoping that Jamie Harrison actually makes a dent. Um, In the last few polls that I've seen, Jamie Harrison has only been about two points behind Lindsey Graham, and and that's a really big deal because South Carolina is a state that hasn't elected um, a Democrat to office in in several decades, um, at least two decades. And so this will be a really big deal if Jamie Harrison um, can uh, take that Senate seat. And, and we know, you know, Lindsey Graham has been nothing but an enabler of Donald Trump for the last three years. The person who was known as uh, a little bit more moderate and working with Democrats and part of that gang of eight that sponsored immigration reform, um, you know, 13 or so years ago has now completely become uh, you know, in lockstep with Donald Trump. So the idea that we could potentially flip that seat in South Carolina is a very big deal. And I encourage everybody to think about, watch, contribute if they can um, to Jamie Harrison's run in South Carolina. Yeah, I think South Carolina's in that next wave of states after Arizona and Georgia and Texas that people could see flipping. Um, well, let me ask you about one more race and one more state. Um, November, Andy Bashir won the governorship back in the state of Kentucky. So people immediately think, well, if we can win governor, could we defeat Mitch McConnell? Um, what are your thoughts on that race? I do think it's it's a possibility. You know, in that um, race, Amy McGrath is is probably the the likely Democratic nominee, and. Um, you know, nothing is, is out of reach. Um, you, the populations of states have changed, are changing. What people care about are changing. You know, in the last race we talked about, Lin, uh, Lindsey Graham had, you know, at some point experienced a real low uh, popularity and um, confidence vote in the state. I think the same for Mitch McConnell. Um, and I think it's really incumbent on Democrats to think about how we can retake the Senate because we need to. So I encourage everybody to also follow this race in Kentucky because, you know, nobody thought that Kentucky would have a Democratic governor, and here we are. So it's very possible that we could flip that seat too. Yes. Well, Kelly, I want to thank you for coming on, but before you leave us, uh, tell folks where they can read your work. Thank you. So – I'm in a lot of different places right now. Um, I have a uh, bi-monthly column at Black Her, um, and then I also do 2020 reporting for Blavity. But I would say 
The easiest place for folks to reach me is on Twitter, and my handle is at Kel Macias. That's K-E-L-M-A-C-I-A-S. Well, we want to thank you for coming on again to the Kudzu Vine. Thanks for having me. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks, Kelly. Bye. Um, good to have Kelly on, as always. Uh, with some really uh, great opinions and insight into the political races. Um, let's go ahead and kind of get back to our discussion. It's like, where were we with this thing? Talking about the debates. I know we covered uh, Michael Bloomberg. We covered uh, some about Elizabeth Warren. Where does she go from here? But we didn't really get into where Michael Bloomberg goes from here. He still has yet to be on a ballot, even though he's been on the debate stage. And he was gaining in the polls. Seemingly, this really stopped his momentum. Catherine, where does he go from her? Go from here. I think he just keeps up with what he's doing until what? What states is he? Is he running in Super? He's running in Super Tuesday states, right? Right. I mean, his ads are everywhere. They're. uh, I mean, I see them all the time. So he's going to keep running his ads, and he's going to keep, you know, talking to people and. I don't think I don't think that the um, performance in the debate is going to change his um, uh, plans. I mean, if you spent that much money, I guess it'd take more than one appearance to, um, you know, do that to your whole campaign. Um, Tim, what's your thoughts on where she where he goes from here? Well. You know, you mentioned his money. He spent, by some estimates, $400 million um, and is willing to spend that and half again more, up to a billion dollars. So on account of his money, uh, nobody should write him off just yet because if he decides to hang around, win, lose, or draw for a long time, he he can do that. He can afford to do that, and he can do it in style. If other candidates were, you know, like not performing well um, at the polls, which we'll see about with him on March the 3rd, then they would probably, their money sources would drop. They'd have to drop out. That's what normally happens. But this are, these are not normal times anymore. We We are witnessing a man that is using his money literally to try to propel himself to the nomination of a major party. Um, So uh, we'll we'll have to revisit it after Super Tuesday. If he goes around, bounces around in these states, finishing second, third, uh, accidentally grabs the state, yeah, he'll stay uh, because like some others, he has that idea that he can be the guy that faces off with uh, Sanders alone down the road. Uh, And he's got the money to last. So we'll just see see after Super Tuesday. Yeah, my question is, why did he not figure this out faster and be able to run in all the states? I mean, starting with the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary. Catherine, any ideas why he didn't 
um, put this thing together quicker? Uh, I don't know. I uh, I think he may have, like many of us, candidates and didn't see anybody who was um, lighting a fire any, under anyone. I mean, this is the first time in my voting life that I am this close to the um, – to the primary and I don't really have a pick like I don't none of these candidates the remaining candidates really inspire me I mean there's a a number of them that I would be very comfortable voting for and I and I think they'd all be much better presidents than Donald Trump but no one is um, you know lighting a fire under me and this is true of many of my friends like many of my friends express the same um conundrum that you know they've never been this close to a primary and not had a not had a candidate that not only had they picked but they had donated money to they had volunteered for they had you know uh advocated for with their friends you know all these things that um hardcore democrats typically do and uh i wonder if bloomberg saw that and thought okay i guess you know we have to beat donald trump so i guess I've got to step in and try to do something with all my money. And, you know, he's made it very clear that if he's not the nominee, he's going to continue to spend his money to try to beat Donald Trump. Yeah, I will say this. I think Mike Bloomberg kind of candidate is a Democrat you could live with, not that you'd fall in love with. Um, I don't think anybody's going to get on fire for Michael Bloomberg. I put somewhere on Twitter in response to something this past week, and and some people actually – thought it was intriguing, wouldn't it have been better if Michael Bloomberg had stayed a Republican because he was the Republican mayor of New York, stayed a Republican, and then ran as an independent um, in the general to say all of you never-Trumpers, all of you people that are not comfortable with how Donald Trump conducts himself, now you have a choice. That would have been better for us as Democrats because he might have slithered off a decent chunk of the um, middle part of the electorate um, helping the Democratic candidate. But now because he's seemingly switched parties, and I don't know if ever, you know, the big formal switch ever happened, um, and ran as a Democrat, that just wouldn't work in independent candidacy. It would be more likely to you know, uh, pick off Democratic voters. Um, Tim, any thoughts on if Mike Bloomberg would have done it the other way? Well, yeah, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head right at the end. Uh, what What is his political affiliation? He's been all three. I remember uh, Wayne Morse famously was that years ago. Uh, uh, not in the particular order that Bloomberg went, but, but, but it was the same thing. Uh so what I'm forced to think, and, and you know how I feel about party switchers, I am forced to think that he is a man who really has it all except one thing, and he wants to complete you know, his, his life with that one thing, which is national political power. I think he feels right now that the Democratic Party is his best avenue to achieve uh, national power because, let's face it, uh, 
how, how many moderate to liberal Republicans do do we know right now that are also strong uh, proponents of gun control? Uh, that that that's probably not a winning formula to win yourself uh, some national kudos in today's Republican Party. So he 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 came over to where he thought uh, you know he would be better fitted. That being said, I, I I do know that 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 he made some allusion to the fact that he watched the race develop on the Democratic side and saw a need, saw that the people that should be pulling moderate voters together for a run at Trump, they they just weren't getting out there. There wasn't a strong person uh, getting ahead of the field that could uh, take on and beat Trump, for instance, up in the upper Midwest in the Rust Belt and some of those places. So he decided to, what, be the man on the white horse and ride in and rescue the day. And that's why he entered the race so late. I'm not sure I agree with, you know, what he said, but that that's why he said, you know, he got in so late. That he originally had not intended to do it, but the way the field developed... Uh, he could see there was a need, and he was, you know, with his resources, he thought he could be that that need. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't excite me. He doesn't turn me off. I mean, it's just, okay, um, uh, let's see what happens. Um, now, let's, something I couldn't have sent y'all a show prep, because Tegan Goddard uh, posted it at 7.07, um, Jim Clyburn endorsed Joe Biden. Now, he finished second place in the no, Nevada No, he did caucus. not endorse him. He did, he did not, not endorse him. him. Well, let's no, see what it says on Political poised, Wire. It's poised to endorse him on Wednesday. He said on um, on the Today, and okay. I just checked it after you said that. Well, the headline says, he, um, Clyburn to endorse Biden. To, okay. and to endorse, but he has not endorsed him. Well, okay. We don't do a show on Wednesday night, so let's assume that Tegan Goddard's reporting sound and that he will, in fact, well, I'm endorse. I'm just telling you what he said. What he said but, on the TV this on TV this morning, and what I just read in the news while we were talking yeah. is that he has well, said he's not making an endorsement until Wednesday, and that okay. he intends to endorse Joe Biden. Well, let's do but it this way. But it's not happening until Wednesday. I'm going to read so this statement out. House Majority, House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn, who wields enormous influence in his home state of South Carolina, is planning to endorse Joe Biden on Wednesday. So I think we can assume before Saturday's primary in South Carolina, Joe Biden will have been endorsed by Jim Clyburn. I don't think we Jim, can assume that. Well, maybe then the reporting's think- bad. So let's play fantasy. No, I'm not whatever. saying if if he was gonna if he was going to endorse uh, if he was absolutely sure he was going to endorse, then he wouldn't wait till Wednesday. He must be waiting to see what happens in the debate. Uh, That's a possibility. Well, it's a possibility, but it's a possibility that this is the fact or this is the information we've been given, and we are showing speculation. That's kind of what okay. we're in the business of. 
So Tim okay. Spedley well, we can certainly discuss me, it. Well, if he does endorse uh, Joe Biden, how much impact would this have on the primary? Hmm. <clears throat> There's a school of thought <clears throat> that endorsements don't mean what they used to mean. However, in his case, he's uh, pretty well thought of in his own district. A lot of people listen to him. That is a hotbed of democratic activity, especially in the African-American community. It can't hurt. I, I, think, I, think, it could, I, I think it could mean a couple of points, uh, providing Biden does okay in the debate. Yeah, that's what I would say. I, I agree with that, that, that if Biden does okay in the debate and, um, and the endorsement is you know, strong and um, without any pause, then I think it's a couple points. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and and right now he is still leading in South Carolina. Now, Tom Steyer is kind of the wild card. If Tom Steyer stays in and stays strong, it might be one of those, you know, everybody's pretty close kind of finishes and then what does that mean moving forward? Hard to say. Does that cause anybody to get out by Super Tuesday? Who knows? Um, kind of one final one, and I just kind of saw it going this way. And then last uh, yesterday with Pete Buttigieg's third-place finish, uh, Catherine, how did Pete Buttigieg win Iowa, finish a very close second in neighboring state New Hampshire, and then parlay that into a third-place in Nevada, how come he got seemingly no momentum out of such a you know good one-two in the first two states? Well, I think it's clearly an indication of in the uh, Latino community or lack thereof in the Latino community. And, and maybe so. I mean, and, that was that was a big, strong part of the Nevada uh, Democratic field. Yeah. Or, you and, know, electorate. And Nevada has more African-Americans um, than the other two states as well, from what I understand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Tim, is this kind of an indicator uh, that Pete Buttigieg has really no support, uh, substantial support in communities of color? I, I think he sees the need, and that's why I think he got on a plane late last night and, and got to uh, – South Carolina this morning so he could he could speak in a church um, there um, Nevada has 10% African American um, of course Catherine mentioned the Latino community which is like 29% of the vote out there or something and uh, Bernie Sanders won that handily. Joe Biden did very well, of course, amongst African Americans and uh, union members, and parlayed that into a second place finish. And it kind of brackets Buttigieg off. If he's going to keep going with his campaign, he's going to have to branch it out because, frankly, we are just now. going to go through a whole line of states with diverse groups of voters. 
it's, and and you're going to have to be able to perform pretty well in about all of them uh, to stay in the top two or three. Uh, they, he could run into a problem here where he could finish lower than third in South Carolina. Yeah. I mean, he's in great danger of that, and that wouldn't do him any good at all. Uh, if, if this race is going to get down to, uh, say, Sanders and two more uh, alternatives, he wants to be one of those two alternatives. He, he don't want to be no worse than third. Uh, or he would crash and burn in a hurry. I could, I could see, I could see his candidacy falling apart very quickly if he started running into some fourth and fifth place finishes yep. with nine or ten percent of the vote. Yeah, I, I really think he's at that point where he can't drop out right this second necessarily because no, he he's done too uh, yeah. well. But then if he fin- he starts to finish lower and lower, he's really going to hurt this image because thus far he has really punched above his weight class. I mean he I mean he is a mayor of a small city and has done incredibly well. And so I personally hope that if he can't be the nominee, he could somehow parlay this into being a legitimate shot at winning the governorship of Indiana. Um next time it comes up or something akin to that maybe u.s senate from indiana um you know you'd like to see that for him because he's done pretty well um i'm really not a supporter of his right now but i i'm impressed with the the race he's won because folks i mean amy klobuchar is right in the reports that you know somebody that's a small uh, small town mayor like this shouldn't do this well um, now she said that, that that's what kind of irritates about her him, but her about him. But nevertheless, he's done it, so there's some impressiveness to it. Um, well, next week we'll have had the South Carolina primary results, and I think we're we're going to have more clarity than we've had to this point, um, one way or the other. I think we're going to yep. have it boil down to either one guy's going to run away with this thing. Um, or it's going to be kind of a, a one-on-one matchup um, the rest of the way. So we shall see. Till then, it's been the Cudsey Vine. Good night, guys. Good night, y'all. Good night, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and